Well, greetings, brothers. Good to be back. Um, I missed last week, but I really didn't miss last week. I actually tuned in. I was afraid to actually come. I had this uh, weird thing called pink eye. I think that's what it was. My eyes were all red and had problems, and I didn't want to give it to anybody, so I kind of stayed at home. And it's really interesting because I did tune in to see the message. That's the first time I've done that. Most of the time when I'm sick, I'm really sick, and I'm in there laying in bed trying to, you know, rest up, get, a, get over it. But I got a chance to, to tune in, and it was very, very good. And um, every once in a while, we ought to look up there to that camera because the people that are actually watching this are actually closer than you all are. <laughs> I sat right on top of the speaker, and I was looking right at him. And Lawrence and, and um, um, Curtis yesterday, uh, last week. So it was uh, quite, an, quite enjoyable, quite interesting. And uh, you know, I could get up and go get a cup of coffee anytime I wanted to. And, and uh, you know, so I appreciate having that message being brought live um, from here. In business, I've heard... I don't know whether it's true because I've never had to start a business of my own. But they say location, location, location is the key to a good business. And I suppose that it, you're, that's probably true because if, if you find a good location and they decide to tear up the street in front of you, you might have a little bit of a problem keeping your business going. Well, in the Bible, it's important to not only have that, but you have to have context, context, context. It's interesting, this Bible study that I started started out totally different until I put it into context. So today I would like to show you how to add context and how to develop that into to being able to see more and deeper into God's Word. It's really enjoyable when you put it all into context and help it helps you to understand what that writer was trying to convey spiritually to us as we are growing spiritually and it happens to be when Jesus was in Jerusalem and it happens through John the ninth chapter and John the tenth chapter and I'm hoping I've got enough time to, to develop this. Maybe I may have to make this into a second message. But I'm, I'm hoping that I can develop this enough today to help us to see the importance of going as far back as you need to go to put it into context to understand what that scenario was leading up to. Because there are so many important, interesting, profound things that the Bible has in it, sometimes we miss those by just grabbing out like a portion of it and reading it and not going through the whole thing that we can, can develop with it. In chapter 8, verse 59, Jesus escapes being stoned. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passing by. Now, it's interesting in verse 1, 
And Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. He just was about to be stoned. He was able to escape. And he passes by probably very shortly thereafter, this blind man. Now, think about all the images that we've seen of Jesus. The halo, the long hair, the white long face, the bright white clothes. <laughs> and imagine Jesus escaping from being stoned. I don't think they'd have any problem at all finding Jesus anywhere. He was able to pass through this because he looked like the rest of the people there. It was his words, what he said, the things that he did, the miracles that he performed. That is what made him stand out, not his appearance. And so first thing we see here is that he was able to escape the stoning because he was just like anyone else and he could walk by and go somewhere else and he didn't have to leave the country. He was right there. And he saw a man, verse 1, that was blind from his birth. Very profound situation. I was um, asking those, uh, and I don't remember exactly remember his name, but there was a um, a man in the Tulsa church when I first started, his name, I know his first name was John, and I think his last name was Aldrich, but I'm not real sure. But he definitely was probably blind from birth. Now, a person that's blind from birth has sunken eyes. They, they don't really have a, you know, um, a formed eye. His was Totally, he was totally blind. I mean, you could see that this, the eyes were sunken in, and he didn't really, couldn't really open his eyelids. This man was very interesting in that he had his little braille box, and during sermon, during the Sabbath service, he would sit there and he would take notes. <laughs> and it's very interesting to watch a blind man take notes. And if you're kind of get nervous with all that you, you might not want to sit right next to him but he was very conscientious he was always taking notes braille notes that he could go back and he could read later very profound so this this man we don't know that that was the situation but if it was this was a very serious man very serious situation this man was blind from birth and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So one, another thing that we find out here, which is very interesting, is that they believed, they believed that if somebody had some kind of an ailment from birth, that somebody had to have sinned. Somebody had to have sinned. This man was blind from birth, and they believed that either his parents, and I don't know how in the world they could believe that he sinned as a baby, he was born, he didn't have anything to do with it, but they believed that there was sin involved in this man's blindness. Now Jesus says, neither has the man sinned nor his parents, 
but the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, and the night comes when no man can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We're going to find out that the statement that he just made was quite profound because this was the Sabbath day. I must work the works that the God has sent me to do, even if it's the Sabbath day. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made a clay of spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Kind of an interesting way to, to, uh, to do that. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which was by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now, it's interesting. I went back and looked, because I was kind of interested about this pool and where it was. And they were in Jerusalem, of course, next to the temple, because if you go back to 8.1, you'll find out that he, was, he, had, he had just been into the temple. So this pool, you'll go back to Nehemiah, the third chapter, you'll find out that they actually, let's see, is that where I want to go? I had it in here. Or maybe I just looked up this thing. Oh, no, no, Nehemiah 3, verse 15. But the gate of the fountain uh, repaired Shalom, the son of um, Kolazah, the ruler of the part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, the lock thereof and the bars thereof, and the wall of the pool of Shiloh by the king's garden and under the stairs that go down by the city, from the city of David. So there was a pool there, and this pool is rock hewn that's been hewn out of, the, out of stone, 53 foot long, 18 feet wide, and 19 feet deep. And it's fed by a, a natural spring. So, either the blind man had someone take him there, or he knew right where it was and could find his way. And a lot of blind people are very adept at being able to find their way around and get around. But he went. He went and he washed as Christ has said to do. And he was able to see. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that has sat and begged? So now we find something else in context here. Something very interesting. He was blind from birth. He was also a beggar. So he was sitting out there where Jesus could see him and he was begging because he was blind from birth. And some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. But he says, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, how were your eyes opened? This is a witness, a true witness of a miracle. And he's not going to lie. He's going to tell them the truth. And they're not going to all believe what happened. He answered and said, A man is called Jesus, made clay and anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and I washed and received the sight. This is a tremendous miracle. This man, blind from birth, a beggar, all of a sudden now can see. And they said to him, Where is he? 
And he said, I know not. And they brought to the Pharisees him that afore it was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay upon my eyes and, and I washed and I did see. Simple. I put the clay on my eyes and I went over and washed. I don't know any more than that. Therefore, said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. So they're denying the miracle already. Kind of an interesting situation, isn't it? Here this man, all of the neighbors, all of the people that knew him knew that this man was blind. This was a great witness to Jesus' miracle. Tremendous spiritual and powerful miracle. And that the Pharisees want to deny it. And they, not only that, but they want to blame Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. And they said unto the blind man again, what sayest you of him that he has opened thy eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. It's interesting, that is a very profound spoken thing. Because that's what the Bible said, that he would come as a prophet. And they should have understood this, that the Pharisees should have understood what he just said. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until he had called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, This is your son, who you say has been born blind. How, how does he know? How does he now see? The parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we don't know. Nor who has opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. Even in that day and age, people were afraid to lose their position in the church. These words spoke his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he, was a, uh, that he was for Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. And it's, it's interesting that um, this word put out of the synagogue is excommunicated. Excommunicated out of the, out of the synagogue, put out. Therefore said his parents, he's of age, ask him. Hey, this is a simple thing. Go back, ask him. <laughs> then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give, give God the praise. We know that, that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he's to be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that, whereas I was blind, now I see. Can't you see? I got the miracle standing right before you. My eyes, I can see you. Didn't you see me begging? I was there on the streets every day. You walk right by me. I have my cup. You threw a little corner. Sometimes you would. Sometimes you wouldn't. Didn't you see me? Now I see you. <laughs> then they said unto me again, what, what did he do you? How open to your eyes? And he answered, I told you already. He did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you be also his disciples? Oh, that was a good one. And then they reviled him and said, 
You are his, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. He's already told him that it was a prophet, and if they knew Moses, they'd know what was going on. Isn't this interesting? But they want to deny Christ. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. Everything they could do to destroy the man they were trying. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is, mar why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he has opened mine eyes. Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if a man be a worshiper of God and does his will, he, him he hears. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was, blind, uh, that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Now this is an interesting thing when the, uh, when the leaders of the church began to talk back this particular way. And I've heard this more than once. They answered and said unto him, you was altogether born in sins. Do you teach us? And they cast him out. Isn't that interesting? This is, this is ancient text that, that has happened in, in modern times. Don't you dare talk back to me. Why you quote scripture to me? <laughs> and cast him out. And what he cast him out of was the synagogue so that he couldn't go. And he was ostracized. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe on the Son of God? Profound words. We don't have to worry about an organization or anything like that. There is a personal relationship that Jesus has with each one of us. And this comes through very, very loudly right here. Jesus went and found this man. He went to look for him. And he says, do you believe on the Son of God? And the answer said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him? And Jesus said unto me, you have both seen him and it is he that talks with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That miracle, so powerful for him, was denied by the religious leaders that he had probably gone and heard and now finally seen in the synagogue. And they'd rejected him. Jesus, who loved him and gave him his sight, came forth and told him, if you believe on me, if you believe on me. And Jesus said, for the judgment I am come into the world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him, and this is very interesting, because remember now, he's moving through the areas, and this man, he went to find this man, but there, there's others with him, there's, there's other people there. And there was, this, there was other Pharisees there, along with his disciples. And this is a tremendous teaching lesson for them and for us. And he said, the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and he said, 
Are we blind also? <laughs> and Jesus said, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you said, we see, therefore your sin remains. Tremendous words. Now, that's not the end. It's interesting, we have these chapters in the Bible. And we, they kind of start, begin this, you know, this chapter, and we think, well, now this is something new. Now we see paragraphs, and we think, well, that's something brand new. But we understand that those things, that there's a continuation. And that's part of understanding context, that it didn't end right there. This scenario, this scene in which he was with this blind man, this lessons that he was giving continued on with this group of people that were around him. They knew that this man had been blind and now could see, and Jesus took the opportunity to give them some more lessons, spiritual lessons for them and for us too. He said, Verily, very I say unto you, He that enters not into the door of the sheepfold but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters into the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the strangers. Now this is a parable that Jesus is giving. <laughs> and they, at the they didn't understand. So Jesus went on. Jesus would explain these parables to them. The parable Jesus spoke unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke unto them. And then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, I used to think that I completely understood this until I kind of was doing some research in this. And it's interesting. Let's go back to Nehemiah, the third chapter, again. While they were building the temple, while they were building the temple, I can find Nehemiah again. <laughs> Ah, there's Ezra. This must be Nehemiah now. In, in Nehemiah, the third chapter, verse 1, and I wish these names weren't quite so long and so hard to pronounce. You know, I'm from Oklahoma. and <laughs> Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even under the tower of Mia. They sanctified it under the tower of Haniel. The sheep gate is where the sheep went in to be sacrificed. They only went in one time. They only made that journey one time. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Interesting. All that ever come before me 
are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. If they came in to the sheep gate and tried to steal the sheep out, they would have been a thief and a robber because those were sheep that were to be sacrificed to God. They couldn't steal those sheep. He says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus, by his sacrifice, has saved us from death. And we no longer are under that death penalty because of Christ's sacrifice. And he now takes care of us and allows us to come in and out freely because he is the door by which we enter and which we come out. The thief comes not out but by to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And he's explaining all of this to these people that are standing around him. So he's now healed a blind man and showed them what it means. Showed them what it means to be blind and then to see. And now he says, I am the salvation of you all because I am the door to the sheep gate. And those that come in don't have to be sacrificed forever. They have the hope of eternal life. And now he, he's one more thing. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. It's interesting, and I've... Um, been kind of, I found an interesting set of books by Spurgeon, um, a very old, uh, I guess we'd say that, 1800s, uh, preacher, writer, uh, very prolific. He made a very interesting statement about hirelings and uh, shepherding and the hirelings. He said in England, and those maybe somewhere, maybe even in America, where the, you had essentially sheep barons, they would hire shepherds. They would hire shepherds to watch over the sheep. And so Jesus was saying, "The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am not come to, to, that may have life more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and he that is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own sheep." are not, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep. In the Middle East, the sheep were the wealth of those men. They were their wealth. They were the ones that took care of those sheep, that lambed those sheep, that put them to pasture, that took care of those sheep. They were, those sheep were their wealth. They were what they owned. They were a part of them. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm not a hireling. I'm not one that's hired. You are my sheep. 
You belong to me. And I love you and I take care of you. I love you so much that I sacrifice my life for you. Interesting that Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If Jesus is our shepherd, he's taking care of us spiritually. We shouldn't want in the spiritual part of our life. Maybe we might hunger, we might have difficulties in other ways, but spiritually, Jesus is taking care of us if we believe he is our shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He's always conscientious about each and every one of us. He knows we're weak. There's a lot of things about sheep in the Bible. And sheep can go astray. Sheep are easily... Um, attacked by wolves. We'll read about that here in a minute. And I want to read Psalms 23 in this context. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. It's a glory to God for us to be His sheep. It's a glory to Jesus for us to be Jesus' sheep. It glorifies God. It glorifies Jesus. We are His sheep. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they shall comfort me. Do you believe that Christ has the power to destroy or to keep away from you the evil spirits and Satan? I do. His name is powerful and strong, and they cannot touch you. In the name of Christ, you can rebuke them. His rod and his staff, they take care of you. And he's shepherding us all towards the kingdom of God. And then we're going to be his children and his brothers and sisters in that kingdom. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anointest my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a promise to Jesus, of course, because he's there. But it's also a promise to us of eternal life in the kingdom of God as his brothers and sisters in that kingdom forever and ever. Let's go back now to John, the 10th chapter. Picking it back up in 12. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. You know, we've had many wolves come in and scatter us because I think because we have not had our eyes on Christ. We've had our eyes on the physical things on this earth and not on the spiritual things that Christ is teaching us. 
and not allowing the shepherd to direct our lives, to take us in the direction that he wants us to go, in righteousness, in goodness, in the rightness. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. He knows each and every one of us. He's particularly concerned about us. He knows our lambs, those that are new in this way. He knows our little ones, the babes in arms, who have converted parents who are trying to raise their children in this way. He knows. He understands. He loves each and every one of us, and he wants us in his kingdom. And he wants us to be a part of that. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. He says, as the Father knows me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He sacrificed his life that we might have life. And we are like sheep. We are frail. We are human. We have weaknesses. Sometimes we scatter. We're afraid. We have hangouts. And he loves us, and he sacrificed his life for us. And he sits at the right hand of the Father today as our good shepherd. And if we read his words and follow those words and understand the words that he speaks, if we hear his voice as he says, other sheep I have which are not this fold, them also will I bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. When we focus on the one shepherd, our life is totally different, isn't it? Therefore does my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Well, this was a, this was a powerful message to those people that were standing around listening. And seeing that blind man see. And now we have a powerful message from this man who is calling himself the good shepherd. These people all knew about sheep herding and about shepherds and all of that. He was speaking on their level. And they understood about sheep herding, but they didn't understand. Some of them didn't understand about the good shepherd, this shepherd. And he was explaining that. Interesting, now we've come to the end of this context. Well, let's see what they think. Let's see how they react to the words that Jesus has just given them. Because he's, he's done a powerful miracle, and now he's given a powerful message, all a witness of the, the process of salvation is what it amounts to. All in the process of salvation. Because you've got to see, don't you? before you can come to comprehend 
what is the right way. So you've got to have the blinders taken off spiritually. You've also got to have the sacrifice. Because without the sacrifice of Christ, we would be all men, most miserable. So that's two. And the third thing is, you've got to have the good shepherd to lead you and take care of you. There was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, he has a devil. He's mad. Why hear you him? Can you imagine what just took place? And there we got people over there saying, ah, he just has a devil. That guy is insane. What in the world are you listening to him for? Talk about blind. Those people are the blind people. <laughs> the man who had his eyes open, he worshipped Jesus. He understood who he was, the Son of God. The other says, these are not the words of him that has a devil. There was an argument. These aren't the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? So you see what, how important it is to have the total context. If we didn't read all of that, if we didn't go all the way back, we wouldn't see the, the, the drama, for one, that was going on as Jesus saw that blind man healed his eyes. He did it for a very specific purpose to teach those Pharisees and those around him of the salvation that he was bringing. For us, it is very important. You know, at one time we were all so blind and we had our eyes open. We all faced the death penalty. It hung over us. And Jesus died that we might have life, eternal life, by believing in him. You know, we have many dangers in this life. We have many things that we face. We have the world that we have to, to walk in. We have many things that come upon us. But we also have the Good Shepherd who is leading us, taking us, guiding us through his words that are written in this book into the kingdom of God. If we believe in the Son of God, we have eternal life.